last few weeks, I've done a lot of thinking about the church. Um, what is the church? How important is it? Does it matter? Why should we be in community? And, you know, I know, that, I know what you're thinking as I start to speak about community and I start to speak about the importance and the beauty of the church, which is the title of my message this morning, um, the beauty of the church. And, and, and as I start speaking about that, I know um, that you're going to think, of course, the pastor is going to say it's important because it's his thing. So like, because it's his thing, he'll always be telling us, but we got other things, like other stuff's important, and it's not just his thing that's important, but it's actually not. The church wasn't actually, I know this is hard to believe, and I know that you're going to be texting your friends about this because you won't be able to believe it, but it wasn't actually my idea, all right? Like, I didn't like one day come up with, hey, let's get like a building and some people and community groups and let's do stuff. You know, that wasn't my idea. It's just actually something that I've been called to that you've been called to, that we've been called to. And sometimes as a pastor, that's a really difficult calling. It can be a really tough calling when you're a pastor trying to point people to community and trying to point people to things that our culture has slowly diminished and devalued. And it's almost like we're trying to resurrect and, and extract a level of faith in something that God has called us to that people have let go of a long time ago. It's like when Moses was in the wilderness and, and he was trying to extract a level of spirituality from the people that they were just not willing to give. And sometimes when we start talking about church and community, people just switch off. They're like, oh man, I thought this was going to be an awesome sermon on how God is going to help me make more money this year. And now I have to hear about community. And, and, uh, and, and so, you know, so many times it's, it's difficult to stand in this position and try and call us to something more, trying to raise a level of understanding that people often are just not interested in. And many times pastors end up being like John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness, you know, standing out in the wilderness, like who, and people are looking at him going, who is this lunatic? Why is he talking about community again? Why is he talking about eternity again? Why is, can we just get a good encouraging message and then go and have lunch because, you know, um, Papachinos has a special today and my kids are hungry or whatever it might be. Um, and, uh, and so oftentimes, you know, when you talk about vision, you talk about community, you talk about where God is taking us, you know, it, it, it becomes, it can be irritating for people, right? Um, what I found is that oftentimes people will choose pastors and churches where they actually feel more comfortable because it seems like there's often this correlation between how passionless the pastor is and how comfortable the church can be. So if the pastor just gets up there and it's like, if there was one person or if there was like a hundred people, he wouldn't care. He just does his thing and then, okay, everybody go home, you know? And a lot of the church has become like that because without vision, without passion, it doesn't challenge you. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't actually move you or, or put you sometimes in an uncomfortable position. And the, the reason is, is because vision and passion creates a yes or a no. When you cast vision in front of somebody, it creates a yes or a no, and that can be irritating if you don't feel like saying yes or no. If you're just like, I just want to figure this out on my own, vision creates a yes or a no, and that can be irritating. It's like, it's like when a guy really likes a girl, I don't know if any of you young guys, do we have some of the young adults here this morning, like guys that really like a girl, and she's not 100% sure if she actually feels the same, right? She's just not completely... You know, there's no real future there. But you know what? Right now she's single, and she, wants the, she doesn't mind the company, okay? 
Some guys, maybe it could be reversed, all right? Some, some girls are really interested, and the guys are like, no, 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 that's cool, that's cool, but we'll see, you know, let's see what happens. And, um, and so what happens is, is that, you know, the, the guy gets strung along for a couple of weeks or sometimes even a couple of years, and he gets put squarely into the friend zone, all right? Any of you ever heard of the, the friend zone for the, old, the members of our older generation? That is the zone where you like a girl or a guy, but they don't like you, but they don't mind being your friend, right? We have a Christian version for that. It is brother or sister in Christ, okay? So, so like, you're just, like, you're just my brother in Christ. No, I love you, but like a brother, right? Like, I don't want to love you like a brother, right? That's not what I'm going for here. Any guys in the friend zone right now, we are praying for you. May the Lord be with you. But then it normally comes to a definitive point where the guy just cannot be strung along any longer, and then he, he makes this decisive move. And it is a risky move. You know, it is, a, it is a, a move that will determine the future where he sits down with this girl that he likes, and he makes his feelings known. He sits down, he's like, hey, I like you, and I want us to be together as more than friends. How many of, guys, how many of the guys here today have done that? Right, that is the point of no return, all right? It's either going to be amazing or your life is never going to be the same, all right? It's just the point of no return when you actually make your feelings known because by committing to a picture of the future that you desire and you believe in, what have you done? You've created a yes or no situation. Now there's no more stringing along. Now she or he either needs to say, yes, I, I, I feel the same. I, what took you so long? I, I can't believe it took you all this time. I, I sent so many signals and so many things, you know, and you didn't respond. Or, you know, yeah, you know, I just, I wouldn't want to harm our friendship, you know, like, I wouldn't want to, I see you as a brother in Christ, and I just want to, I don't want it to be weird, you know, you, you're going to get a yes or a no situation um, like that, and, and, um, yeah, for all of you guys, you know, in the friend zone, in the brother of Christ zone, you know, sister in Christ zone, we are praying for you. May the Lord be with you um, in this coming year. But I heard somebody once say that you shouldn't make a priority out of someone that treats you like an option, right? Don't make a priority out of someone that treats you like an option. And believe it or not, this is not a sermon on dating this morning, although there are some really great tips that I have shared with you right now. But the point is, is that too many people treat the church like an option, like an option, like we string the church along. Yeah, yeah the church is, Jesus is like, I love you. I gave my life for you. I, you know, I want to be united with you. And you're like, oh, that's cool, Jesus. Let's just, yeah, come along, friend zone. I'm a, you know, I am a friend of God. We don't do that song anymore. Some of you have never even heard it, but, but, but I'm afraid, but we're just friends in the church and we string the church along when God has clearly made the statement and made it clear that you are not an option to God, you are a priority to Him. God has made your life and your future and, and, and everything that He wants to do, your calling and your purpose, He made it a priority and yet we treat Him and His church like an option. And uh, I'm, I'm believing that God wants to inspire something in our hearts this morning as we recognize that he died for us on the cross. He gave everything for us. 
And, and that's just not to kind of guilt trip you and say, well, he died for you, so you should live for him. Because you know what? It isn't actually on the basis of just going, oh, he died, so I should try really hard to live for him because he died for me. And, and it's kind of like this guilt trip that gets you to serving and gets you to committing. Do you know that it's not sustainable? You'll commit for a month, you'll commit to for two months, you'll commit maybe for three months. The only thing that sustains you is when you recognize what was released in Jesus dying for you. What happened in the finished work of the cross is that His grace became available to us. The Holy Spirit took up residency in us. And so because He died for us, we can live for Him. Not in our own strength, but in His grace that so overwhelms us and awes us with its beauty and its power and its presence in our lives. The grace of God means that God is present in your life. Because if it wasn't for His grace, He wouldn't be able to be present in the way that he is. We are united with him because of grace, and because of that, we can live for him. Instead of treating him and his church like a girl that we string along, like, not, no, not now, church, I'm busy, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. Not now, pastor, I don't want to hear another speech about how God has called me. I've got other priorities. I've got other stuff happening in my life. God doesn't want us to put the church and his community and his call on your life in the friend zone. What he wants is he wants us to commit to a covenant that is like marriage. In fact, marriage is a reflection of this covenant. Marriage is the closest we can come to as an earthly reflection of the covenant that we as the church have with God. This is not dating this is not Tinder. This is not, uh, you know, this is, this is not just some friendship situation. This is us united in a covenant with God. I want to go to Ephesians 5, verse 25, and, and show you this passage which, which points to the mystery of marriage, how two people become one, but also the mystery of how we as the church are united as the bride of Christ with Jesus. In Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You see, Jesus pursued us. He pursued us not just across a room. He didn't just pursue us across a restaurant or across church on a Sunday morning to go and say hi and create that definitive yes or no situation. But he traveled across the universe and was born into this earth so that he could come and, and give himself. He gave himself completely. And here's the great thing about that. He didn't ask whether or not you were worthy before he died for you. The Bible says so clearly that while we were yet sinners, God-haters, rebels, the ones running in the opposite direction, cursing God with our own speech, he died for those that were cursing him even in that, own, in that moment. And so today you can know that that it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what has happened in your past. As much of the God-hating that you have done in your life, Jesus died for you anyway. Because he so loved, you are so loved, God so loved the world that he gave his own son. So he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, this is what Jesus did for us, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with a word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, we are made 
um, acceptable and worthy before God, not because of our own actions, but because of what Jesus has done. So he presents us as his bride, washed in, in the blood of Jesus with the water of the word. He presents us as a spotless bride. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does with the church. That encourages me. You know how many times I'm, I'm, I'm praying as a pastor and I have my weak moments and I go, God, are you still here? God, are you still involved? God, oh, are you helping us? Are you still involved? Are you taking us forward? And, and, and God, he cherishes and nourishes this body. Why? Because it's his body. Just like you and your body, if, if you got sick, you'd go to the doctor and you'd take meds and you'd get into bed and you'd look after yourself. In that same way, husbands are to love their wives because they have become one flesh. And Jesus loves the church. He loves us. That's, the church is not an institution or a, or, or a concept. It's us. It's you. It's me. It's us together. And so Jesus loves his church. It says, um, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the, the beauty of, of what happens in marriage and what happens with us and Jesus is that he abides in us, we abide in him, and we become one flesh, two people becoming one. This mystery, Paul says, is profound. Like this is supernatural on a level that on our earthly terms, we barely grasp. Like Charles Spurgeon says, if, if you cannot conceive it, then just do your best to believe it. Because we, we cannot conceive certain things supernaturally. They are so grand to our human minds. But what we can do is take it by faith and understand that there is this great mystery that is so profound. He says, and I am saying that marriage, that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a response to it. And so there's this unity. And can you see that what we have with Jesus is the church and with him, it's not, it's not a friend zone. It's not a dating situation. It's not an, an iffy commitment. It's not like, oh, if I feel like it, this is our marriage. It's a covenant. It's unity. It's our life. It's the community that God has put us in to bless us, for us to be nourished and to be cherished and to grow up in. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful blessing. And um, let's go ahead and, and pray this morning, and I'm just going to talk about the beauty of the church. Jesus, we thank you for everything that you have done to save us and to bring us into a relationship with you. Thank you for dying on that cross, giving yourself up because of your great love for us, Lord. Father, forgive us for being so so self-centered that we can't even recognize how much you love us, Lord, that we can't even see, Lord, that we, that we are still trying to figure it out, out in our own strength, still trying to make ourselves worthy of your love and, and worthy of the love of others. But we thank you, God, that we can rest this morning knowing that your grace is for us, that you died for us, and that you have brought us into your body, Lord, that you have brought us into your church, into this community, and that we all belong because of what you've done for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for your word as it washes over us this morning. And we give you all the glory for that in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. So as Paul writes about marriage and about this covenant, he says it's a reflection 
of the relationship between Jesus and his church. It's a covenant of lifelong commitment. It's not something shallow. It's not an organization. Um, I know that we have voluntary association here at Anchor Church. Um, somebody uh, that was um, uh, moving to another uh, part of the city recently sent me an email saying, please, can you release me from my contract that I signed when I joined the church? I'm like, there was no contract. <laughs> like, we are not going to, this is not like trying to get out of your cell phone contract, which, which we all know is impossible. We, you know, this is, this is, a, it is voluntary association, but in the spiritual aspect, it's something that Jesus has, has, has brought us into in a deeper level than what we can understand. It's, it's most certainly not a, a Tinder hookup. Now, just to clarify, I've never used Tinder. I've never downloaded the app. I've never attempted, okay? But a lot of people pick churches like they pick somebody on Tinder. So apparently, okay, how the allegedly, how the app works is that a face of somebody comes up. Some of you guys can let me know if I'm, if I'm right or wrong. A face comes up. And then you swipe left if you don't like the look, and you swipe right if you like the look. Is that right? I Googled that. Is that right? You swipe right? We're just checking who answers yes. Okay, so, so people, they pick church that way, where they actually go, oh, look at this church. Oh, it's got a great kids ministry. Oh, it's got, oh that looks awesome. Okay, swipe right. Swipe right. That looks great. Let's go on a date and see if it, if it fits. And we treat church in that shallow way when God is going, this is not a Tinder date. This is a covenant. This is a community we've been called to belong to. And God, you know, created us to be in this unity with him, to have this relationship with him. And, and as the church, we are his bride. We are a part of his heart and his life and his covenant. And, and, and we're all a part of it. And so as a pastor and an elder of the church of Jesus, um, I've put myself in, or rather God has called me into a very dangerous calling. Like, I, I, there are nights that I don't sleep because of the weight of the calling um, that God has put on my life and, and the understanding of my responsibility. And there's scriptures um, like Hebrews 13, verse 17. Um, I want to read it to you. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, a lot of you hear that scripture and you think, all you hear is, okay, I've got to obey the leaders and I've got to submit to them. That's not something we like to do in our culture either. But you know what I hear when I read this scripture? As those who will give an account. As those who will give an account. That is a frightening verse of the Bible to me because what it means is that one day I will stand before God and I and the other elders at Anchor Church will give an account. And what will I give an account of? Will I give an account of how great the band sounded or how good the coffee was in the cafe or you know, how many banners we had up at kids? No, this is what I give an account for, how I and the elders and the pastors and the leaders here at Anchor watched over your souls. Watched over your souls. And so that, that puts me in a really... Dangerous. This is a dangerous calling when, 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 when you are, understand that God has entrusted you to watching over people's souls 
to help them, to encourage them, to love them, to be an example to them. And, and people have no problem having me as their pastor, as long as that means me preaching a good, encouraging, uplifting word on a Sunday, or sending them flowers when their baby is born, or visiting them in hospital when they're sick, or giving them advice when they feel stuck. But God, help me if I hold them accountable, if I intervene with the truth of God's word, if we want to point to a direction and say, hey, I want to challenge you in this area. This is, this is an area where you are, are putting yourself and your family in harm's way because of sinfulness and because of deceitfulness and selfishness, and it's going to corrode stuff in your life, and it's going to, it's going to create stuff in your life that you won't be able to handle. And so people are all great for an encouraging pastor, and, and if you miss it, then they'll be quick to let you know. But if you want to stand up and you want to say, hey, church, there's a challenge here for you. Or hey, if we become aware of an individual situation and we say, hey, we, we want to talk about what God's best for your life is, then people aren't so keen on having a pastor. And we so often get the, the hey, who are you to tell me what to do in my life response. We get that response. We're like, we're trying to help you. No, I'll live my own life. Thank you. But we're the ones, if you're asking who are we, we're the ones who are going to give an account. We have to give an account. And we see in the book of Revelation, and how many of you are excited for our new series in the book of Revelation starting um, next Sunday? But, um, but in early on, Jesus shows up and, and he begins to speak to the seven churches and he describes something about each church. And, and so often he says to the churches, I love this about you. I'm so proud of you for what you're doing here. This is awesome. But here's one thing I have against you. You're allowing this to happen in your church. You're allowing this doctrine or, or you're allowing this culture to develop and it's outside, it's out of line with what is best for my people. And so I understand that, that one day I'm gonna stand before Jesus and he's gonna go, you know, I love Anchor. Thank you for what you did there. Thank you for, uh, I appreciated this. I'm proud of you for this. But here's what I have against you, Adrian. This is what I have against Anchor Church. That's actually going to happen to me, okay? It's actually going to happen. And so we want to be the kind of church that is faithful to Jesus. And, uh, and, and so we're going to speak up when we're called to be speak up and, and, uh, and, and lead people with love and with honesty and with truth. But people, when they get challenged in that way, and I'm just talking about a culture that's developed in our church, across our country, it's not just Anchor Church, but people go, oh, if that pastor speaks in a way that I don't really like, or they're challenging me on this thing, you know what? There's another 10 just down this road, just down William Newgate. I'll find 10 churches. I'll just go to a new one next Sunday, and there I'll be anonymous. And I'll just make sure that that part that I was called out on, I won't let them know about that. I'll hide that part, and there I can go. And then I'm, I'm completely accepted again without ever anybody having to challenge me on what's happening in my life. Why am I talking about all of this stuff? Here's why. Because what I realized is that in essence, we are desperate for community, but allergic to commitment. We're desperate for community. But you know, for, to have community, you need commitment. You need a journey with people. That means it's going to get uncomfortable sometimes. That means you're going to have to be called out sometimes. That means there's going to be some accountability sometimes. But you're going to grow and you're going to be strong, and you're going to be supported, and you're going to experience the blessing of true commitment. So what is the church, and how should I respond to, let's call it God's
proposal. He's proposed to us. He's, he's, he's done everything to go down on one knee and bring us into this covenant with him. The word church actually comes from the German word and the Old English word kirsch, which, uh, you know, has a slightly, it's actually a different word than the original word in the Greek that gets translated into church in the English Bible. The original Greek is actually a word kuriakos, and that word, uh, sorry, the, the word kish comes from the word kuriakos, which um, is essentially meaning belonging to the Lord or the Lord's. And it's only used twice in the whole of the New Testament when it refers to the Lord's Supper in Corinthians and when it refers to the Lord's Day, when John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day in Revelation. Those are the only two times when kuriakos as a Greek word is used in the New Testament. When it's referring to the assembly or the gathering of the church in the New Testament, it uses a completely different word that gets translated into English church but is actually something different in the original Greek, which is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia, and it comes from two Greek words. The first is the word ek. This is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. It comes uh, from the word ek, which means out, and kaleo, which means called. Essentially, the called out ones. A community that's been called out, that's been brought out, that's been separated for use by God. In Acts 7 verse 38, it talks about Israel, and it talks about Israel in the wilderness, and it says, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness, the ecclesia, in the wilderness. With the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers, he received the living oracles to give to us. The congregation in the wilderness, the church in the wild, the called out ones referring to Israel that were called out. God says, I will call my people out of Egypt. And in the New Testament, it tells us that everything that happened to Israel was an example to us. It was a foretelling of what God would do in the era of the church and in the New Testament. And so we, as people sitting here today who have faith in Jesus, we have been called out of a world system. We've been called out of death and into light. We have been taken from a place of serving ourselves to living for something greater. We are people that have been redeemed by His blood, separated for special purpose by God. That's our identity as the church. Not just an organization, not just a cool building, not just great music and having fun and having coffee, but a, a community of called out ones. Church in the wild, a voice crying out in the wilderness to live as God's people, to fulfill his mission, to be filled with the spirit, to share the gospel with the nations and to share the hope of Jesus with our city. Can you see how when we make this about us, and all that we prefer, like a commercial product we're picking off of a shelf, we're missing the true calling of the church. We're missing the true calling. We're a community called to serve Jesus together. In other words, we do not serve the church. Some of you are on our team here. I want you to know, you don't serve the church. You serve as the church. You don't give to the church. You give as the church. We do not attend church. We are the church. A Sunday is the gathering of the church. Uh, you know, I, I, I just don't like it when people say, although it can be interpreted correctly, but when pastors say, hey, welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. This is not the temple. In fact, they do other corporate events here midweek. Like, 
You know, Jesus doesn't stay here. It's not like we all leave and Jesus waits and then there's like BMW doing an event and Jesus is in the corner like, well, this is not my deal. You know, like, (laughs) I don't ask for this. He doesn't stay here. This building is just a place that we can sit on a Sunday and not get sunburnt. We are the church and when we gather, he is in our midst, he is with us. So the church is not a building, an event, or a program. It's not a religious institution. But it is, number one, a community of called out ones. A community of called out ones belonging to God, fulfilling his purpose. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim, you see there's purpose in this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out called out once, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our identity as the church, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And what is our job? A royal priesthood, in the Old Testament, the priests had the job of going before God and reconnecting and reuniting people with God. Of, 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 and, and that's why Jesus is our high priest, because he has eternally connected us. But we are a priesthood. In other words, our job isn't just to come here on a Sunday and feel encouraged, but to go out into the world and to reconnect people with God. That's our job as the church. That is what it means to be in ministry. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Jesus united us to God and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he reconciles us and then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, entrusting to us, entrusting stewards of the message of reconciliation. That's what we carry. That's our message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Can the weight of, of the awesomeness of that statement just sit on us for a while? That God makes his appeal to this broken, hurting, lost world through you and through me, through us as a community. Making his appeal through us, we implore you, be reconciled to Christ. And I can tell you, if the enemy wants to do one thing, it's to confuse us, to distract us, to cause infighting and politics and nonsense based on selfishness and quarrels and preferences rather than us standing together and appealing to a lost and a broken world. What are we doing, wasting our time when we could be speaking On behalf of God, be reconciled. His grace is for you. Reuniting people with their creator, just as Jesus reunited us with the Father. Bringing glory to him. That orientation is so different. So far from it all being about us. It's holy, it's sacred, it's awe-inspiring. That's why I said this is about us not being about us. This is about us not being about us. William Booth, uh, who is the founder of the Salvation Army, said that the church is the only, ex- uh, only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. 
It's not about us. We are called to be a hospital for the broken. We want people that are hurting. Every Sunday when I drive to church, I pray, God, bring those that are hurting, that are broken, that are ready to give up, that are, that are at the end of their rope, those that are considering suicide and those that are struggling with, with relationships and those that are, are ready to give up on it. Bring them, Lord. Those that need healing and those that need friends and those that are lonely, bring them, Lord. The desperate and the sick and the dying, bring them, Lord. Because this is a place of healing. Mark 2, 17, Jesus said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's here for the sick. Jesus is a friend of sinners. This is a mission base for the called. It's a hospital for the broken. It's a mission base for the called. John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I am sending you. So we don't, we don't just come here to uh, you know, feel great. This is a place where you get equipped and encouraged and strengthened so that you can go out and the appeal of God through your life can be louder than ever before. It's a lighthouse to the world. Matthew 5 verse 14, Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We're not here to play it small. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Live your life in a way that expresses your faith, that expresses the heart of God. Let the light that God has revealed on the inside of you, let it shine through you. So we are a hospital for the broken, a mission based for the called, and a light of the world. Number two, church is a community. Number one, a community of called out ones. Number two, it's a family. We have a sign up there that says, this is home. We've had that up, uh, not in that same place, but, but in different places since we started Anchor Church. Because this is home to us. This is a place where we can belong. It's a family. Romans 12 verse 10 says, love one another deeply. Love one another deeply, sincerely, truly, as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That sounds like family to me. That's God's vision for a family. That we love each other sincerely and deeply. That we outdo each other in showing honor. Having a culture of honor in this home. That we pray together. That we stand together. That we endure together that we rejoice in hope together, that we're diligent in the, and, and passionate about what God has put in front of us. We have purpose, patient and kind and forgiving. It's not about us. I'll do each other with, with honor, give preference. The Bible says make room for each other. Make room for each other. For each other's faults. You know why you have to make room? Because we're imperfect people. I'm an imperfect pastor, and this is an imperfect church. We're growing and we're learning. We're doing it together. So make room. Commit. Stand together. Show hospitality. Do you know how incredible a gift it is 
to be hospitable, to open up your home. All of you introverts are like, dear God, no. You know, it's just like, that's my space. But to open your home to others, to have people over, to sit on the couch with a cup of coffee and to speak to someone. It's incredible what happens. It's an incredible gift. It makes such an impact. A family also has leadership. How many of you know that in a family, there's leadership, there's roles and responsibilities? I have kids and I love my, my boys a lot. And because I love them, I set boundaries. I said, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. You're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that. Because there's, there's a functioning and a growing, but every boundary I put in place and every direction I give, I give because I delight in them. The Bible says those in whom the Lord delights, he disciplines. Discipline is not punishment. It's correction for future success. I don't discipline my boys because I just, they're just irritating me and right now I just feel like disciplining them or punishing them for being so irritating. I do it because I love them. And so in this family, Yes, there are certain things that we are called to. We're called to submit to leaders. We're called, there are roles and there's responsibilities and there's accountability. But it's because the church is a family that it's a place of leadership where you can be led into the future that God has for your life, which requires trust. This is the space where you can become who God intends for you to be, and that will be a blessing to your life. So the church is a community of called out ones. It's a family. And finally this morning, it's the body of Jesus. It's his body. This is, again, part of that supernatural, profound mystery that we can only understand in part. But it's a profound thing, supernatural, divine thing that we are united with Jesus and with each other in order to fulfill his purposes so that he can fulfill his purposes through us, working through his body. He works through us. We are his hands. We are his feet. In the book of Acts, when Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting the church or my people or you know, that church down the road, but me. When people come against the church, they come against Jesus himself. It's his body. In the beginning of Acts, as Luke writes, he says, Oh, great Theophilus, as I wrote to you in my former accounts, talking about the gospel of Luke, of all that Jesus began to say and do, all the work he began to do. And what he was saying through that is that now in the book of Acts, he was going to write that all that Jesus continued to do except through his church. People say sometimes, I wish Jesus was still on this earth because he could just help us out in so many areas and he could just bring healing to our communities and he, can, and he can lead people in the way that they should go and he could point the direction to God. And, and the truth is, he is still present on this earth. Do you know how? Through his church, through us. You know what's great about that? If Jesus was still here physically in one person as he was in the time of the gospels, he could only be in one place at one time. But because we have inherited his spirit, he is all across the globe. In every nation of the world, He is there. And He works through us. I want to say, and I want to come against a thought that so many have when it comes to the local expression of church, is where they say, I, I, I'm not a part of a local church. I've, I've honestly had this from so many people. It's like, almost like a, a thinking or an idea or a culture that's, that's developed. But, but I'm not a part of 
of a church. I'm not going to commit to a community or to a local church because I'm just a part of the church, capital C. Like, like I'm just a member of the body. And, and I want to wake up, and I've had this. I've actually had somebody come and say to me, I want to wake up on a Sunday morning and just hear, God, where do I go today? You know, which one do you want me to go? Do you know where God often tells those people to go? Back to sleep. Like that's for some reason, that's where they end up going, back to their dreams. And it's just not biblical. You know why? Because the church is not just a global concept. It has a local expression. So when people tell me that, I say, that's cool. So you're a part of the body and not a local church. Tell me, where are you serving? Where are you committed to community? Where are you giving as we're called to be generous to the church? Where, where, are you, where are you doing all of those things? Because if you're not committed to a local body and you're just floating fairy dust, hanging out in the clouds on a Sunday morning, you're not actually committing. If somebody says, I'm a part of the body of Christ, I want to ask, which part? Because yes, it's a body, but it has different parts. And the Bible says that there is an ear and there is an arm and there is a foot and they don't have the same function, but they're all equally important to God. And which part are you a part of? Anchor Church is only one of the great churches in this city. We're only one part. But God calls us to be a part of this part or the part that he's called you to be a part of, whichever it is. Where are you attached? Not just drifting but a commitment. We don't want to be disconnected. We don't want to be displaced. It's not God's will for your life. We belong to each other. We belong to each other, and that's the beauty of church. The beauty of church is, is that no matter who you are, you're accepted, and you belong, and you can journey with us. There's leadership here. There's going to be challenging here, a challenge here. There's going to be commitment here. There's going to be serving. There's going to be pioneering together. There's going to be us giving of ourselves, but we're going to do it together. And what's going to happen is through us, God is going to make his appeal to the city of Joburg. And that appeal is going to become louder and louder and louder and louder because we belong to Jesus, because he has got a calling for us, because we are his bride, his body, and his people. Amen? Amen. That's what God has for our lives.